Testing, testing. This is Stefano Virgili from uh, Vox uh, Podcast, and uh, we have another episode today, episode number 10, with Daniel Yu, connected from uh, Kenya at the moment, and also from Kenya, Diane Ha. Hi, Diane. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Hello. Thanks, Stefano. So, uh, really quickly, the introduction on Daniel. This is Daniel Yu. Um, he is the founder and global CEO of Soko Watch, and you can check them out at SOKO watch w-a-t-c-h dot com and uh really quickly i guess the way i would describe what they're doing is that they're tackling the difficult challenge of um solving the supply chain issues in the informal retail sector in africa now um also another um intro uh that i want to give you on daniel is uh that he's so he's also a friend and um, has many talents, including um, being able to speak seven different languages wow. and also um, musical skills. So um, one time I bumped into him at a garden party uh, where there was a live band, not really a live band, there were just some people playing, you know, instruments. And he, you remember that day, it was, Daniel, uh, it was David's birthday. And he was like, he said, oh yeah, I played the keyboard a little bit. And then, you know, he took over and he started, he was playing the whole night and he could play every single song. <laughs> and we even asked him to play a Malaysian song that no one has heard before. And uh, he just looked at the, look at the keys a little bit. And then he was like, he was rocking it. Fantastic. So this is Daniel Yu, who has many different talents, including um, starting and running a company. <laughs> And, and fundraising, because so, I, I, I've seen uh, Daniel yeah, Yu have raised um, uh, $20 million dollars so far. To ask you. Correct. Yes. Recently closed beginning of this year as well. So he is sorted through um, Corona, our Corona pandemic. Now, um, Daniel, I want to ask you, um, as you tell us a bit more about Soka Watch before that, can you tell us about the evolution of um, Relief Watch? Because Soka Watch wasn't Soka Watch at the beginning. And then it evolved, yeah? Correct. Yeah. So it's been, it's been quite a journey uh, as a company. The original idea behind the business actually started when I was living in Egypt. And, and while I was living there uh, in a small village, I actually saw these challenges with small shops and pharmacies uh, in, in, in that town. And I realized that there weren't any systems in place to actually track and order products um, for, for, these, for these small stores and pharmacies. Um, and so my background is actually as a, as a software developer, and I had done some work previously with SMS notifications. And so this idea of having a SMS-based system that could connect shops and pharmacies with their suppliers came to mind. And following that, I was back in the U.S. working for a few different tech startups there and really was, was motivated by this concept and, and the impact that I thought could have and ended up actually entering a business plan competition with this idea, uh, won a prize and some funding. And from there, uh, ended up uh, initially trying to get partnerships with different health organizations and NGOs around the world um, because the initial use case around specifically tracking and ordering medications and health supplies was uh, where I thought uh, we, we could get some, some, some good traction. Um, and we actually did get some traction. Um, I spent some time in Central America uh, where I worked with some NGOs there who were 
implementing our kind of SMS-based system to track and monitor their clinics in a few different countries. Um, however, after uh, about a year and a half or so of, of, of really trying to make that business model work and, and scale that up with customers, uh, and so, as a result, sorry, was um, that, so that was in Egypt and South America as well, or, so, or location? No, so that I mean, our the health projects that we did were they were initially in Central America, and we actually did a project in Uganda as well. Um, okay. So 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 a, a few different places, uh, and actually one of the Philippines. Um, so so uh, <laughs> we we had kind of an interesting uh, diversity of geography. Though, uh, as I said, uh, ultimately just the, the traction that we saw, um, I think specifically trying to market and work with NGOs um, was, was, was not um, what we thought it would be. Mm, interesting. And then, and then what led to, and now what, what is the shift? Tell us a bit more about Sokolatch. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, following uh, that initial um, really kind of failure to, to find the right product market fit on the Relief Watch side, uh, we pivoted using the same technology, using the same systems that we already had uh, to focusing more on the consumer goods sector, because of course, small shops um, in emerging markets face the same challenges where they're not connected to the supply chain. Um, they're not getting goods delivered directly to them. They have to go through middlemen and wholesalers and all that. And so the idea was using this SMS based system and technology that we'd already built out uh, plugging in this time with the ma manufacturers of these goods and with these small shops to kind of facilitate uh, that ordering and connection. And so how I ended up initially in Kenya was we had reached out to a number of different multinational consumer goods companies and the local office, the local country office of one of those companies actually got very excited about the concept and, and thought it could be quite transformative for their business. Uh, and basically uh, invited us out for a pilot. And uh, I said, absolutely. So I got on a plane and came out to Kenya. And really the focus at first was just to understand the existing supply chain. So for us, it was understanding how shops were currently getting their products, um, the, the manufacturer, the distributor, how they were working. And so we ended up launching the pilot, which actually ended up being a failure. Uh, and the reason why was because we launched this SMS-based ordering system where we had these small shops placing an order and the distributor was supposed to then deliver that order. However, what we found was the distributor was actually not delivering over half of the orders. Um, wow. Took us a little while to actually figure out why, but basically what happened was the distributor was not interested in delivering the very small order quantities that these small shops were placing on average. And so the result of that was we basically had to go back to the manufacturer and say, hey, how, how are we gonna figure this out? How are we actually gonna do fulfillment effectively to these shops who of course um, are quite small individually, but collectively represent a huge, in fact, the, the, the vast majority of the market here. And um, what we ended up coming up with was the idea of actually organizing to do the delivery and fulfillment ourselves. Um, and that's really what kind of took us to the, the final and kind of current iteration of the company, um, which is a fully integrated e-commerce, financial services and logistics uh, company where shops can order from us for free same day delivery of essential goods to their shops. Uh, and then on the back of that, 
we actually also provide them with financial services to really unlock their growth potential. Uh, and so with that, you know, we're now supplying about 15,000 stores uh, across uh, four countries, the, the nine largest cities in East Africa. Wow. Okay. So, so just to get this straight, um, if I am a like small shop owner, like a Duca owner, the mm -hmm. small shop at the side of the street that sells, you know, your quick mart stuff, um, I, you know, will be working with you in the sense of like uh, having either an app or SMS of a way, a, a platform that I can get onto to reorder more of my supplies and CMD the delivery. That's, that's crazy. That's especially in, you know, places in Africa and with roads that are terrible and, and no addresses <laughs> um, and then get my delivery. And with the data that you have on me, you'll be able to see that um, I have a steady, you know, purchasing or, you know, I, you can kind of guess almost the profit I'm making, you know, um, and therefore offer me uh, a line of credit maybe so that I can purchase more products and grow my small shop. Did I get that right? Exactly. Exactly. You got it. Who are your financial uh, institutions that are partnering with uh, traditional banks or lenders mostly? So we actually do it all in-house. It's all ourselves. So you kind of pursue license for operating that segment through four countries? How does so it it's actually, it, it's quite interesting. If you, if you look at the way that we're offering this right now, it's all done in kind. Right. So if you think about it, it's really the, the only service that we're offering is the ability for a shop to order goods today and pay us back for them later. Um, so the nice thing about that is um, because it's, it's, it's all kind of in kind within that, that same order of business, um, there, there, there's not any um, uh, kind of regulatory requirements around that uh, because for us, it's all just about, hey, we're trusting the shop. We're using that existing relationship that existing data, we're not taking any collateral, you know, we're not making them sign over their store, or their house or anything like that. Um, it's, it's, it's entirely based on that existing trading relationship. And by doing that and saying, yeah, you know, we'll extend to you this line of credit. So maybe you've been buying $50 a week of goods from us on average previously, we'll give you a hundred dollar line of credit. So you can potentially double, triple your order volumes with us. Interesting. And how did it play? You managed to actually increase the volume of orders by extending? Absolutely. Credit? Absolutely. So, I mean, the average uh, store, once they're uh, onboarded to the credit program, uh, just about doubles their order volumes with us. And how, how often do you end up in trouble? Uh, very, very infrequently. Uh, if you compare kind of the performance of our uh, portfolio uh, of, of, of financing versus uh, anybody else in the market who's doing digital lending or, or, or even other kind of SME lending, um, it's, it's, it's a fraction of, um, of the defaults. Um, and the other thing is we're offering it at a fraction of the cost as well. Because for us, this is really not a service to make money off of in and of itself. It's about enabling the core part of the business, um, the fact that those two are working together, um, which, which I think makes it something that's quite compelling to the shops as well. Uh, sorry, sorry, follow up. So this credit line that you're providing, is it more of um, an extended credit period with the supplier versus, you know, like money in hand? So for us, it's, it's directly between us, right? So it's, it's directly between Soka Watch and the shops. And um, exactly. So it's all in kind, right? So it's not a separate cash or mobile money disbursement. It's saying you yeah. have a $100 line of credit to order goods from Soka Watch and you can pay those back 
later. How we currently structure that is actually, it's a one week term. So it's quite fast, uh, but that aligns with the current ordering pattern, average customer orders from us every five days mm. right now. So it kind of fits within that existing ordering behavior. So, so you're not actually making the purchase, sorry, really quick. So you're not actually making the purchase then with the suppliers. So you're not actually paying them at that moment. You're waiting until the week is done and then you're paying back the suppliers. You mean on our side in terms of our supply chain and how we, yeah. how we source? So, so to be clear, so with, with, the op, with the model that Silkwatch operates now, we are fully integrated. We, we operate our own warehouses. We have our own fleet. And so what this means oh, okay. is, is when it comes to the actual products, what we do is we source in bulk from Unilever, mm -hmm. from Procter & Gamble, from Nestle, from these companies, and um, actually take inventory. We receive those goods at our warehouses across these, these nine cities that we're in. Um, and then we're breaking those down into the individual um, kind of pack quantities that the shops usually buy in. And we're doing that uh, same day delivery, free delivery to the shop. Uh, so on the back of that, the financing is really just between us and the shops. Um, and then on the, the manufacturing side, you know, we're, we're still operating that as usual. Okay, thanks. Sorry, back to you, Stefano. Yeah, it seems like you figured out how to scale the business through cities in East Africa. How exportable is the business? How do you think it could work in other geographies as well? Great question. So this kind of challenge with informal shops is absolutely widespread uh, across Africa and many other parts of the world as well in, in developing markets. Um, if you look at just these core challenges of shopkeepers really struggling to reliably source and, and get inventory for their shops, um, that's a key challenge because often distribution networks in emerging markets are quite inefficient. Uh, and then on the back of that, access to financial services to really unlock growth potential of the stores is, is also something that's um, just way under, uh, uh, under supplied to the market relative to the demand and the need uh, for these core financial services for informal shops. Um, I think for us, what we've really uh, found is that we have something that is quite scalable uh, and we, we've been able to expand quite rapidly to these four countries, these nine cities, um, because of the fact that this is number one, kind of a universal need across those markets. But number two, we actually, by working directly with these manufacturers and many of them are multinational, they're regional, um, we actually already have the relationships in place to start supplying and, and distributing those products in other regional markets as well. So when we first started here in Nairobi and we built the relationship with the regional Unilever team, that made it really easy for us when we expanded to Tanzania to just by working with the same team, plug in right there and, and, and start delivering with a catalog of products that were already ready to go. Very interesting. And just before we started recording this episode of the podcast, I was asking you also a question about the choice of the cities. And uh, I really want to grab the opportunity to, to run this episode and ask you as many questions as possible because it's a, is a field that is very interesting to me. I lived in Uganda before. I don't know if they had mentioned to you before. Um, and I tried to run a business in uh, Uganda, two of them actually. One failed in 2016, and uh, the other one actually I'm looking at ways to expand. So it's very interesting that you start from your story of failure 2014 and then replicating the failure again, then finally figured things out. And, and I'm very curious to find out what brings you to pick the cities? Because I've seen the list of the cities on your website. Mm -hmm. 
and what is the common trade? I mean, some of them are capital cities, but others are definitely not capital cities and probably not even the second largest cities in the country. How, how do you pick the, the, the city where you want to operate next? Great question. So, so generally speaking, we are looking at the population. We're looking at where suppliers are very interested in expanding their presence. Um, and so, you know, our partnership with those manufacturers is quite key. And, uh, and they have oftentimes a lot of market priorities uh, for, for development. Um, and then also in terms of accessibility with logistics. So uh, for example, if you look at where we're operating in Kenya right now, so uh, our markets are Mombasa, uh, which is the second largest city and the, the port city for the country, uh, Nairobi, which is capital, Nakuru and Eldoret. Um, which are which are smaller cities. However, uh, Nakuru and Eldoret kind of sit on the main road, the main highway that leads from Nairobi actually all the way to Uganda. And so for us now, we're actually starting to get into doing some interesting upstream logistics and supply chain work where we are actually getting goods at the port of Mombasa and moving them around East Africa and actually supplying our different offices along the way. So uh, for example, the rice that we source, it's all imported and that is getting picked up in Mombasa, it's getting dropped in Nairobi, then continuing to drop in Nakuru, then continuing to Eldoret. Um, and eventually, you know, we're, we're planning to extend that supply chain across borders to Uganda, Rwanda as well, so that we're really kind of taking advantage um, of the fact that we have this, this regional muscle. Um, and so there's no one factor, but um, I mean, fundamentally, as I said, the, the demand and need for, I think the Silkwatch model is, is quite universal. Um, and we, we're looking to get into pretty much every city um, uh, across the, the African continent um, of a certain size, uh, because I, I think the, the, the demand um, and the market for what we're doing is, is huge anywhere. If you just look at uh, basic consumer goods, over 90% of them are bought through these small informal shops. Um, and that's a $400 billion market a year in, wow. in, in Africa. So anywhere we go, there's going to be huge opportunity. May I ask you who, who is backing you, who is invested in the project, if you can share? Of course. Um, we have a number of, of fantastic investors. Uh, most recently, we had our, our Series A led by Clona Capital, uh, who is a emerging markets fintech-focused investor. Um, part of that, we had our seed round, which was led by 40X Ventures. Uh, but along the way, um, for both of those rounds, we, we had a number of great investors join um, the likes of Global. Um, uh, yeah, we have, I, I believe, uh, uh, about 30 investors total uh, on our cap table. So, so quite a number of folks. Um, I think that's actually quite typical of, um, of fundraising, especially you know early stage um, in, um, in Africa, um, it's quite difficult. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're taking checks from, from pretty much anybody, uh, who will listen, um, if they will write the check. Um, and so for us, I think we found now, uh, with our, our kind of established business, um, that the ability to attract more of the global investors, uh, has, uh, has, has, has really matured. Um, however, who knows, uh, with the current crisis, um, what that looks like going forward, you know, very, very fortunate, lucky, uh, to have closed, uh, the round earlier this year at the time that we did. I'm really curious to to understand how you got into because it sounds like like what what is important for the business or what's driving your business is also right now you know like 
kind of figuring out the the transportation side um you know how to how to bring these goods from the port all the way to you know like accessible uh cities um and you're you're a dev guy you're you're a technical guy you know mm-hmm. how did you um you know get into that how did you get expertise on, on that side definitely through uh a lot of mistakes and blood sweat and tears um I would say these markets overall are, of course, highly unstructured. Uh, there's there's no one uh, person who, who who knows all the parts involved. I've been very lucky to have a great team um, that has brought that expertise uh, from uh, a number of different areas into the business. Um, just as an example, our global head of operations, Quenwi uh, Tawa, uh, he was previously head of uh, Jumia Global. Uh, for Kenya at uh, uh, at Jumia, um, and of course, so he he had kind of a wealth of e-commerce and logistics experience that he brought in from there. Um, we're just about to bring in a global head of supply chain uh, who was previously at Coca-Cola. Um, we just have a fantastic team of people who who really have that depth of experience, and uh, you know, without them, uh, certainly what what we're doing, kind of trying to integrate all these different pieces together, uh, would not be possible. In fact, I read that your team is quite big at the moment. Yeah, you have 150 in your team, excluding the drivers, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, so, so a big part of that team is definitely our on-the-ground operations staff. So the people who are overseeing the warehouse, the people who are managing the drivers across these nine cities, um, that, that, that's definitely the bulk of the team overall. Um, though, of course, we, we do have um, you know, pretty extensive uh, support staff in our back office now across finance, product, engineering, HR, uh, partnerships, all these different teams that are, of course, working together In to fact, support. I, saw, I saw that your title is global CEO. That implies that you have <laughs> local CEOs, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I think one of the, the great things that we've been building out across our team is those country-level organizations. And, and as we get countries that have four or five different markets in them, really... Uh, allowing them to be autonomous in their operations and in their growth. Um, and so we've got great um, country CEOs in Kenya and Tanzania now. And as the other markets mature, uh, we're looking to, to put in place uh, senior leadership uh, to, to, to lead those countries as well. Did you pick up Swahili among the seven languages that you speak? I did. So you speak Swahili fluently and it helped you, I guess, in the business in, in that part of the world. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you're going to be doing business with the, with the local shops um, and you want to actually be able to talk to them and understand what's going on in their day-to-day lives, I think it's important to speak the, the, the language of the people. Of course. Bayan, any question? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask about how you make money. I mean, I have some guesses based on what you said, probably the margins and whatnot, but can you just talk mm-hmm. a bit more about that? Absolutely. So, so the basic model is because we're sourcing directly in bulk from the manufacturers, uh, while also kind of cutting out several layers of these middlemen in the supply chain, what we're able to do is get the goods at the best pricing from manufacturers um, and still actually supply them you know, with that free delivery at kind of competitive market pricing to the shops. And that kind of, um, uh, that in-between uh, in terms of pricing from where we had cut out the middlemen who were there before um, is, is where we're able to make our margin. Makes sense. Is there 
any um, opportunity or I mean, are you doing anything currently with with data? Because I can imagine mm. um, when I've spoke to Unilever and whatnot in the past, sure. they're all like really excited about they, they know how much product is going to supermarkets, but going to small shops, mm. that's where it gets lost. Exactly. Great point. Um, that that is that is absolutely part of our, our roadmap looking forward is the data, which of course we're already collecting, we're already using internally to, to drive our day-to-day -day operations, uh, but really thinking about how that can be monetized into a service, you know, uh, providing the, the FMCG companies with more visibility on what they're doing. I would say overall, because it's something, it's, it's an ongoing conversation that, that we've been having with a lot of these manufacturers. Overall, the market is still quite early on that side. I think the, the level of sophistication um, and interest in data and really understanding what it can do for their businesses is, is still um, quite, quite, quite early stage. However, um, you know, we hope that over time we can help educate them on the use cases and, and that they see really uh, where that value comes from and, and that we can be you know, even more collaborative as a partner by providing them not just with um, an additional distribution sales channel, uh, but, but actually with that market intelligence as well. Excellent. And um, what kind of, uh, what, what competitors do you have in the market? Good question. So traditionally, our competitors have been the old school wholesale shops that were supplying the, the small stores before. Um, so you know, these, these are, are usually just local guys who have a garage, they have a depot, uh, and they basically stock a bunch of goods, they sit around all day, and they wait for shops to come to them, get goods. Um, so definitely not very innovative, not, not actually uh, providing really any value add to the supply chain. Um, These are the middlemen that you managed to cut out? Yeah, the, exactly. The, those are the ones that, um, you know, that, 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 that we were really focused on uh, providing a better experience to uh, local shops over. Um, more recently, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, more, more. <laughs> More recently, um, I think kind of following some of the growth and, and the success that we've had with our model, uh, we, we've certainly seen other players uh, start to look at our space in the consumer goods segment specifically. Um, so one, one prominent example of that would be Twiga, uh, who started off really just focused on fruits and vegetables. Um, more recently, um, they've, they've started overlapping with us, not on all the products, but on a few products um, within the consumer goods side. Uh, the, that's still just, uh, they're still just only in Nairobi. Um, so for us overall, uh, you know, we definitely have kind of that, that, that regional scope um, and that's really what we're, we're, we're gonna continue to be pushing as well. It's interesting that you define uh, your industry as a, a marketplace, right? But, but I mean, the, the logistic is a key aspect. If you didn't, you oh, want competition because of the logistic, right? Yeah, I mean, marketplace in the Silicon Valley definition of your digital only platform that just connects players and they sort out themselves um, is definitely not what we are. And I don't think that model actually works um, in the African context because the problem is you don't have reliable third party service providers, right? You don't have a 100% reliable logistics last mile delivery service that can just plug in to uh, vendors yeah. who are always going to have the inventory and the products at the quality and pricing that are needed. Um, it's not a, it's not just a connectivity problem. It is a connectivity and actual sourcing 
delivery technology challenge that really needs somebody to put in that blood, sweat, and tears to create the services that are required to do this. And the thing is, if, if you actually do that in the way that you know, we built out our own warehouse and we built out our own last mile delivery fleet, then it actually becomes a huge barrier to entry because you, you as a competing player have to have built out that level of in-house service delivery as well uh, in, in order to, to, to fundamentally compete against this existing model. Um, and so for us, while it definitely was a upfront investment, um, a, a, lot of, a lot of time spent really figuring out how to do that properly, where we are today is I think hugely advantaged by the fact that we've done that because we have this scalable operating model that we now know how to roll out and that we've been rolling out across all these different markets. I guess your secret is the fact that investment alone cannot make this happen. You, you really have, you say twice the blood, sweat and tears, which means that you really have organically built from scratch an entire pipeline that goes from the order. So you have the technology element, you've got the supplier element, which is very traditional type of business. And is your, actually your, your cash cow, as far as I understand, that's where you make the money plus a reliable logistic service that perhaps in future you can even use for your competitors, perhaps? <laughs> perhaps, yeah. I mean, look, all of these assets are opportunities for us to decide what we want to do with them down the road, right? So if it's something that we really see as a key uh, competitive edge that we want to keep in-house, okay, fine. If it's something that we want to open up to allow other people, other companies, other services to ride off the back of. Sure, we'll do that as well. I mean, the same thing goes for our customers, actually. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people, um, uh, I, I get asked, you know, are we just an e-commerce service or are we a fintech company? And, and to me, I, I mean, the labels here are pretty irrelevant. I mean, I, I really think of it as like the value that we're bringing is in the network of these 15,000 shops who for the first time are actually using a digital platform to get what they need for their business, right? And what they need for the business is a number of things. It's the goods, it's the actual physical stock, the, the, the rice, the flour, the sugar, the soap, but it's also the financing. And right now we're doing that ourselves, but in the future, anybody could potentially plug in, right? If you're an insurance company, you wanna offer insurance to shops, sure, we'll work with you. We have the data, we know the shops, we know where they are, right? So you're not gonna be able to get to them without us, right? But we could offer that, right? We could work with banks. We could work with data companies, advertising services that, 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 that want to get into the shops. I mean, ultimately that network and the fact that we built that out and really the only way to build out that network, you know, with these informal shops in the communities that we're in is if you have the feet on the street, right? If you have that ground game that's in place and it's actually reaching them, signing them up, right? Physically onboarding them and showing them the value of what you're bringing to them. But then once you have that, you're the only player in the market who, who is truly actually aggregated, digitized this huge informal sector. And that becomes the gateway for any number of things. For well, I, guess, that. I guess the crucial part was the education, like training your stores, training uh, your, your drivers, um, basically getting everyone to cooperate and collaborate. But it's probably the part where you are the least interested. Let, let me guess this one might be, right might be wrong but maybe you're not so interested in getting into the payment part because it's 
kind of reliable and established and, and it's too costly perhaps to enter into that space? That's a good question. Um, you know, payments, I, I agree. I, I think uh, the mobile money systems that already exist, you know, M-Pesa in Kenya uh, and a number of the other ones that, that have decent traction in East Africa are, of course, well-established tools that uh, millions of people already use. I don't think we would want to replace uh, or try to compete with that type of service. Um, but I absolutely believe that there are opportunities to probably more partner with telcos on really thinking about how some of these value-added services are, are delivered and, and, and provided to the shops. Um, so yeah, I agree. I, I, I wouldn't say that, that going after uh, your traditional mobile money services is, uh, is on our roadmap right now. As we stick to talking about the future, can you tell us more about uh, what is your, you know, maybe one year, maybe five year plan, um, anything that you're willing to disclose? Sure, I, I would say in the medium term, uh, and of course everything is quite chaotic right now with the COVID-19 crisis, but luckily Sokwatch's business supplying essential goods to these communities is uh, remained you know, very robust um, and, and demand for what we're doing has actually gone up during this period. Um, so I, I would say, you know, in the short term, we are extremely focused on how we can continue to support communities uh, during this time. And, and that's number one focus for us in supporting our customers and, and making sure that they're actually uh, able to continue to operate and supply goods to people who need them. Uh, just one aspect of that to highlight, um, because I think it, it um, really uh, differentiates us from some of the other um, players out there in the spaces, we're actually expanding our credit pro program during this period, um, where I, I would say most other uh, people who are doing, say, financing or lending in some sort have, have really uh, pulled back. Um, another example of how I think we're, we're really um, innovating uh, in the face of COVID is um, we actually just launched the first e-voucher program in response to COVID-19. Um, certainly in, in East Africa, um, where what we realize is the efforts that, say, the governments are taking or nonprofits, NGOs to do kind of direct food and aid distribution, um, I think are just really short-sighted because um, these governments, these, these organizations uh, don't actually know how to do this. And of course, figuring out how to deliver uh, thousands of tons of rice, uh, flour, and, and other essentials to people who need it is an extremely complex business. And when you put that in the hands of uh, some of these organizations, unfortunately, there is a lot of risk and fraud and theft and all these things. And um, there were some situations, of course, in uh, Nairobi just a few weeks ago where um, uh, food distribution went horribly wrong um, and, and there was a stampede and some deaths um, as a result of, of, of people who were just trying to get the products that they needed. Um, and so for us, our reflection on this is there's no need to reinvent the wheel here. Um, the local shops are already the supply chain that provide these communities with the goods that they need, right? And these stores have uh, existing relationships with all the community members. They're on every street corner. Um, they already have these products. Um, all you need is the ability to direct um, those consumers uh, to, to actually get goods uh, and, and, and the relief and the assistance at their shops. And so what we launched was an e-voucher program um, where we actually send just through SMS um, unique codes directly to 
families who are in need and allow them uh, and direct them to uh, a local shop um, just down the street that's supplied by Sokowatch uh, to redeem that voucher for um, a, a basket of essential products. Um, and through that, when they actually redeem at that shop, um, we at the Sokowatch side, uh, because we already have this financing relationship um, with these stores, we are able to actually just credit their accounts directly um, for all those vouchers that are redeemed. And by doing that, uh, what we're actually doing is we're strengthening and providing aid not just to the families, uh, but actually also to the local shops and making sure that they're staying um, kind of solvent and, 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 and still in business during this time as well. And because us on not, our side... It's because, they, it's because they are not paying you anyway. So just whether they give it out to the community or they keep it in the store, then it's better if they give it out to the community. That's your reasoning, right? That's why you do it that way. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the, the idea being the shops are already in the community. They already have the products. They bought, you know, pre-COVID, they were the ones who were supplying the community with the rice, the soap, the flour, and all that, right? Just direct the families to, you know, through an e-voucher to, to, to be able to redeem at these shops. And with our kind of integrated supply chain, what we're able to do on the back of that is actually use it to de-risk, you know, some of these financial services, right? So, you know, when, 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 um, we see that, hey, there's this increase in demand because you know, we, we know that families are gonna be redeeming products here, then of course, you know, we're gonna be able to expand the credit lines and all this to help those shops through this time um, and, and even have suggested ordering and, and all these kind of new functions um, around supporting stores in the management of their business. Um, so I, I think just working with the existing supply chains and not reinventing the wheel is I think a huge opportunity um, to, to, to really strengthen the, the resilience of local communities um, while getting the, the, the essential goods that families need to them as quickly, as conveniently as possible um, and, and not trying to set up um, any, any type of alternative emergency uh, supply chain networks. Wow, that's brilliant. That's, is, is, that, is that some sort of welfare program, the e-voucher program, or is it for the families to pay at a later time? So right now, uh, Sokowatch has, has been sponsoring uh, these e-vouchers. E um, we've sent out a few hundred of them uh, already um, across a, a few different uh, neighborhoods that we serve in, in Kibera and Kangwada in Nairobi. Uh, however, we're, we're finalizing some partnerships um, with some, some NGOs and some organizations that specifically um, are looking to, uh, to, to back uh, this type of direct aid uh, innovation. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're looking to actually scale that up uh, to a few thousand families um, within the next month um, and hopefully uh, up to 100,000 plus families um, across the region um, within a couple months after that. At the consumer wow. level, are you influencing the communities in finding the shops that you supply? What, what is your B2C, B2B2C aspect in mm. business? How do you handle that? Yeah, so um, right now, with the exception of the, the e-voucher program, um, we uh, have not gone into the B2B2C angle yet. However, um, what the, the idea behind the e-voucher program actually came from an idea that we actually had in our product roadmap for the future, which was um, this idea of being able to provide coupons, e-coupons, to people in the community to say, hey, you know, maybe, um, you know, Unilever wants to run a new promotion uh, for a new brand of soap that they're launching. They want to give, um, you know, a free bar of soap or they want to give 50% off 
um, to, to people in the community to, to try it out. And we would be able to send out that, that coupon uh, through SMS to people in the community and that they'd be able to come to the shop and actually redeem it to get their free soap. Um, in this example, with what happened with COVID-19, we realized, oh, wow, you know, this idea that we already had to develop this kind of B2B to C um, a feature uh, is in fact hugely timely, you know, given that everybody's trying to figure out how, how do you channel you know, aid and relief for essential goods to um, the communities and, and, to, and to individual consumers and families. Um, and so absolutely, you know, we see even with what we, we've just built out now for the, for the e-voucher relief program, you know, the commercial applications for that down the road um, in how that kind of strengthens our business and our relationship ultimately to consumers. We have taken one hour of your time or pretty much one hour. So we are heading towards the last few questions. Diane, you want to start? Uh, no, I'm good. I mean, he already talked about COVID, so I'm fine. Back to you, Stefano. I have a question about the technology. Um, mm. I would imagine that perhaps USSD is more viable than uh, SMS, That uh, there is a reason why you're doing SMS and you're not doing USSD. I would like to hear about it. Correct. USSD is a very difficult technology to use if you have long lists of items that you have to select from. So if you think about our product list, um, it's way more than the nine items on a keypad that, um, uh, that, that you'd be ordering. And so what we, what we realized is a open SMS to be able to message in uh, for what products you need um, is the most user-friendly way. To, to kind of accept um, those, those inbound orders, especially for people who, who only have feature phones. Um, and then on our side, uh, we have some systems that do some automated kind of structuring around that, but uh, ultimately those SMS orders are, are still uh, fully confirmed um, yeah. by our customer care team as well. I was probably referring more to the part of the vouchers and the part of the coupons. That's probably mm. USSD. Sure. Well, so, so, so the, the part with the vouchers that's, that's um, that's quite good is, so for the family, they're receiving the SMS with their unique code that says, you can go to any soap watch shop, here's the one that's closest to you, here's the products that you can get with it. When they actually go to that shop, all they need to do is tell the shopkeeper that code. And then the shopkeeper, they have an app where they have the soap watch app where they're able to punch oh, in that okay. code to verify that, hey, this is a, this is a, a legitimate code. Um, and then, yep, you know, here's, here's all the products that, um, that the, uh, the family uh, so can the, redeem with that. So the, the, the shop has a mobile application Correct. and then anyone can go in with a feature phone and integrate uh, yep. through the shopkeeper. Perfect, yep. makes perfect sense. Thank you for answering this question as well. And thank you for entertaining us with uh, your many talents, but also with your very intelligent answer to our trying to be intelligent question. We do our best <laughs> for the podcast. It was really a pleasure having you as uh, our guest for our 10th uh, episode. And uh, Ayan, thank you for introducing us to Daniel. Yeah, sure. Thanks for also, um, Daniel, you know, really amazing things that you're doing. I know, so Daniel's dad is a doctor, so he's saving lives. Daniel is also saving lives in a more like scalable way, I guess, you know, by, by pushing out these essential goods to vulnerable communities that where we hear, I mean, we hear about this on the news all the time but just no good solutions around it. People just know it is a problem. Yes, it is a problem. But Daniel here is doing something about it. That's amazing. Thank you for your work, Daniel, and your time. Thanks for having me. Really Thank appreciate you. it.